What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Many of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, which is my effort to find the most interesting people in the world and sit with them for hours while I ask questions in an effort to learn. So it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe to the show on your favorite audio platform, watch episodes on YouTube, and tell your friends and family about the podcast. My goal is to help millions learn from the world's most interesting people. So let's get into today's episode. David Pakman is a managing partner at CoinFund, a blockchain and crypto native investment firm. In this conversation, David and I talk about Bitcoin, Web3, regulation, stable coins, and what he is expecting in 2024 and beyond. David has been playing this game for a very long time and is a well-respected investor across venture capital circles. And these insights that he shares today are eye-opening because they show exactly how someone who has navigated multiple bull and bear market cycles in the past is thinking about current market conditions. I always enjoy talking to David, and I learned a lot in this conversation. So here is my episode with David Pakman. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Today's episode is brought to you by BASE. BASE is making it their mission to bring a billion people on chain. What exactly is BASE? It's a layer two offering a seamless experience for both builders and users. With near zero gas fees and rapid transaction speeds, BASE is shaping the future of the on-chain world. BASE is a canvas for everyone with hundreds of apps in the ecosystem, whether you're an emerging creator, a seasoned developer, or someone exploring the on-chain space for the first time. BASE is designed to bring your ideas to life. So if you're looking for a platform where the future of on-chain is being built daily, BASE is your destination. Join in and make on-chain the next online. Learn more at base.org or follow along on Twitter at buildonbase. Again, that's at buildonbase to see cool things to do on-chain every single day. Today's episode is brought to you by Trust and Will. I've gone through a number of different changes in my life over the last few years. I got married, I had a kid, and I had to start thinking about how could I ensure that my wife and my child would be okay if anything ever happened to me. That's where trust, wills, and estate planning come into play. Now, most people, what they do is they get introduced to a friend, an uncle, or someone in their local community. It tends to be someone who's really expensive, a lawyer, an accountant, or somebody who does estate planning, and they just simply are using a one-size-fits-all template and just telling you, pay me thousands of dollars, and I'll use the same thing for you as the guy down the street. But that's not what Trust and Will does. They have a trusted online estate planning product that starts as low as $159, which allows you to now protect your legacy from the comfort of your own home. Get to leverage their excellent customer support available via phone, email, or chat. They have thousands of five-star reviews and a rating of excellent on Trustpilot. It takes most people 20 to 30 minutes to complete their estate plan with Trust and Will. And not only that, but if you go to trustandwill.com pomp, you'll get 10% off, plus you'll get free shipping of all your estate planning documents. So go to trustandwill.com slash pomp and make sure you get an estate plan in place. Whether it's for you or one of your loved ones, having a trust and or a will can literally be the difference between someone being taken care of and someone not. Go check them out today at trustandwill.com slash pomp. All right, guys, bang, bang. I've got David here with me. Um, I thought a great place to start is you showed me a chart that blew my mind. I've never seen this chart before. You may be the first person uh, to, to uh, have it. 
And it shows a market rally every time that a major crypto CEO is fired or leaves. And so you have Arthur Hayes, you have Sam Bankman-Fried, and then you have CZ. Talk a little bit as to, one, how did you get the chart or why, why did you go think about this? And then two, what is this chart actually telling us? Well, I just think that the place we are, we're entering the post-cleansing rich infrastructure period of crypto. We spent the last two and a half, three years building an abundance of block space, very low cost, low latency, and high capacity blockchains. So we're sort of ready for way more consumer usage than we had uh, pre, uh, pre-bear market. And we've spent the last year and a half uh, being cleansed by regulatory authorities and getting rid of a bunch of bad actors. And so I think uh, the market likes cleansing is what this chart shows us. Uh, this, I can't take credit for it, it was a coin fund um, analyst here, Dimitri, who put this together for us. Um, but it, right, the market appreciates the cl- the cleaning up of bad or questionable actors. Maybe you could argue the one major actor that is still uncleansed here is Tether. Um, and we, we still have a bit of a cloud over the market until we get some clarity about uh, their long-term durability. But we're, we're the market likes it when exchanges with questionable um, characteristics uh, are cleaned up. And uh, so I think it's just a good sign for where we're going. Now, when you look at each one of these, um, how much of that is like institutions are literally waiting and they're like, hey, there's an exchange that you know we have questions about. Okay, that exchange is no longer going to be a major piece of the infrastructure. Okay, let's go and deploy now versus um, I almost think of it like headline momentum. And you know, people are just talking about crypto. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that thing. I've been thinking about AI for the last two years. Uh, now that I see crypto in the headlines, I should go buy some of that. And then it's kind of like retail flow is actually driving some of these price appreciation after CEO leaps. Maybe, but I'm going to throw your words back at you that you said on TV the other day. Markets are forward looking. And so this market is a smart market. There's a, you know, a, a lot of crypto buyers and sellers in the market. We've got high volatility, yes, but we have a lot of uh, volume and particularly around Bitcoin and market likes, uh, the market's looking forward and saying we like Bitcoin more when we have less regulatory risk of bad actors being, you know, pulled out. That's simple. So we've seen recently a number of hearings. We've seen uh, tweets go out from politicians, frankly, on both sides of the aisle, right? I don't think it's uh, kind of just one or the other. Um, And it almost feels like there are two camps now. There are some politicians, regulators, and even market participants who are like, you know, accelerate. Let's go build. Let's use this technology. This should be uh, the home in America. There's another group of people, though, who are, you know, I mean, literally uh, just recently, Elizabeth Warren and Jamie Dimon had an exchange and Jamie Dimon's like, it's all, you know, basically bad actors. And if I was the government, I would shut it down. And I think Elizabeth Warren's, uh, you know, visual look was like, thanks, Jamie. Like, I got my new, you know, soundbite. So how do you think about maybe the talk versus the action? And where do you expect us to go in 2024 when it comes to regulation? So let me take one quick step back. We've spent a decade, in my opinion, building the most robust, decentralized, high-performing, low-cost, reliable mechanism for global digital movement or movement of digital items, including payments. The, the most obvious use case for it is payments. But payments is one of the most globally regulated industries and protected in the world, and the one where there's a whole bunch of graft, essentially. I mean, you know, the, the tax for making payments across 
you know, bits, moving, updating a ledger across the world is way too high. You, you shouldn't be paying the fees you're paying for ACH, Wire, Western Union, even credit card. So we built a much better network than that. This is just the first and most obvious use case. But because it's such an overly regulated sector, it's taken at least a decade for us to start to make some progress into that. And, th and this is the announcement you heard this week, right? Coinbase saying, hey, take our wallet and copy and paste USDC payment links right into you know iMessage or WhatsApp. This is a free, globally free uh, now, like zero cost way to move money around the world in seconds, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's an incredible innovation. It also is a market shrinking innovation. I love market shrinking innovations because it puts the hurt on incumbents who don't wanna chase a shrinking market. They wanna fight and protect. What, what is the number one way that regulated industries fight um, people coming on them through non-market strategies, right? Regulatory. So no surprise to me that you have resistance from the global heads of banks saying this stuff's bad. It's just an easy soundbite to try to delay, delay, delay. Meanwhile, you know, the JP Morgan Onyx internal blockchain, like they, they, they crow about how many billions of dollars of assets are, are secured on that chain. So this is Jamie Dimon probably talking his book more than anything. He's he's too smart for that. Um, but um, it's not a surprise to me that we've got you know incumbents fighting back through regulation. I do think it's a very sad state of affairs in the U.S. because of the SBF, you know, donating to 170 some politicians that people are just like anti crypto from that. But but that's just a temporary blip. I'm a long term investor. We've been spending a lot of time in the UK and EU and the Far East where there's just no talk of Gary Gensler or Jamie Dimon or Elizabeth Warren. They're just building and watching. Now, one of the most interesting data points for me has been watching USDC and Tether. And for a while, it looked like USDC was going to overtake Tether in terms of market dominance for stable coins. That has now reversed. And we actually see almost a bifurcation where Tether is gaining dominance, uh, USDC is falling off. The reason why it's so interesting to me is uh, I've heard kind of rumors, rumblings, whatever you want to call it, of people who have gone and visited non-US jurisdictions where people will say, oh, we like the fact that Tether is outside of the U.S. system. I saw uh, recently, um, I, I think it is a QAO from uh, Alliance uh, Dow. He said, um, actually, he talked to someone who was in one of the African markets, and they said, no, everyone here thinks that USDC is the U.S. government coin, right? And so we like the idea of not having the U.S. government coin like the other one. And what it really, I think, pulls out is just like regulation in the U.S. Most people look at that as like, that's a positive, like thumbs up, green light. We want regulation. Is it actually a negative internationally? And maybe the more we regulate in the U.S., the more it'll push adoption of non-regulated things internationally? Well, let's be clear. We actually don't have crypto regulation in the U.S. We have selective enforcement with an unknown set of rules. Uh, and so it's it's almost like a lottery of what you can get away with or not get away with in the U.S. You just don't know. So when you have that much uncertainty, the best entrepreneurs just opt not to be a part of that system and to go where there is some clarity. It, the U.K. entrepreneurs and EU entrepreneurs will tell you, no, we don't have full clarity here. But what they have is we're not going to get sued for launching a token. In the U.S., you launch a token, you, there's a high probability that you're named in a lawsuit somewhere, even if, you know, every best lawyer in the world is telling you it's not a security. Uh, so so for the first piece is like entrepreneurs go build where they have some running room. And I don't think there's running room in the US today. I think it's going to change. I'm a long-term optimist, but right now it's just not hospitable. The second part of your question is like, well, 
what is that doing to the reputation of U.S. companies and products on the global market? And it's hurting us. And, and you're right, USDC, which I think we all look very favorably upon in the U.S., is named in a way that if you don't really understand that it's a truly independent company, um, you've got, uh, you know, it sounds like a U.S. coin for sure. And and right now you've got a, a U.S. is telegraphing not just to its own citizens, but around the world. Like, we don't like crypto. We don't want crypto here. Like, don't touch our crypto. So no surprise to me. Um, but by the way, like, all non-US, well, let, let's talk about Telegram for a minute. So here we have this, you know, messaging service with, I think, 800 million uh, Mao, uh, mostly non-US. Many of us in crypto use it in the US, but it's heavily used outside the US uh, for, you know, just general messaging. It's got, you know, a nexus with um, founders of Russian origin because of uh, their their backgrounds. Um, and so it's, you know, it's it's got a little bit of an overhang over here in the US for that reason. But it has launched a blockchain, a token, and now a wallet that is being built into a really easy to use consumer app. You can't touch it in the US. It's geofenced away from us here for all the reasons we just talked about, but it has maybe some of the most consumer traction of any blockchain outside out there. Something like uh, 3 million um, wallets, I believe, and about 900,000 actives. Um, um, monthly active wallets. This is these are big numbers in crypto right now. Um, it's so uh, you, you just an example of innovation activity and and what could become very quickly a seamless payments platform, a la WeChat, which we get, gets a lot of talk in the U.S. Well, someone's going to build the super app. This actually is a is a more interesting candidate to build one, and it's going to happen outside the U.S. Now. I want to talk a little bit about the institutional world, because I think when we talk about regulation, we talk about market uh, dynamics, even sometimes macroeconomics, people are very much focused on the market participants, the people allocating capital, the people consuming that capital to build stuff. Um, but the capital usually comes from somewhere, right? It's usually these big, large institutions, and so they pay attention. Um, and they can sometimes be very loyal to a market. Uh, you know, Bonds as a great example are kind of fixed income. Regardless of what happens to that market, they're going to keep allocating to it. Crypto's on the other end of the spectrum, and it's almost a little bit of fair weather over the last couple of years. You all raised a seed fund. I think the original target was like $125 million. Um, you raised about $155, $160 million um, in that fund. And so oversubscribed from institutional type investors, why are they excited? What What is it other than CoinFund is the best investor in the world and you guys have a great track record uh, and David Pakman is you know a great venture capitalist? What, what, what is so exciting to them to keep allocating to this industry? I think there are different... There are allocators that allocate in different um, sectors of the market in general and different types of asset classes. So, you know, venture is this tiny pimple of a sector within alternatives, but the people who invest in venture uh, and who've been doing it for some time, the LPs, the institutions who invest in venture, they know it is a very long-term, slow liquidity bet. It's a six to 10-year fund cycle. And a fund today is not going to show its success for at least six or, or eight years, maybe even a decade or more. So they are, those types of investors are like, hey, if there's a bunch of noise in the market right now, that's not what I'm thinking about. Is this an interesting sector over a decade? Do I want to be in it? Really hard to say that crypto is not. If you're like, really like just being an, an objective investor, there's just too much activity, too much innovation, too much value created. I mean, what, what are we at today with all the price movement? Over a trillion dollars of of total asset value here, you just can't ignore it. You kind of do it your own peril. So to put some money into, who, who would you put it into? You would put it into investors with a track record 
Coin Fund's been doing it since 2015. Uh, in, investors who are institutional friendly, like we're registered with the SEC as an RIA and uh, and trying to attract um, institutional capital uh, and people that have theses about where it's going and try to avoid the bad actors. That seems to me uh, to be a, a, a smart move with people that have a long-term investment orientation. But the other point that's just about to change in the market is, you, know, you tell me the date, but sometime in January, we're going to have probably 15 companies launching ETFs, right? To, to allow uh, both retail and institutional access to uh, to crypto assets through the stock market as ETFs. And uh, wait, I mean, that's a seminal moment, right? That, that is institutional adoption at scale uh, to at least buy and hold or, or trade digital assets. And I think that, you know, this is the beginning of it all again. Let's, um, let's take off kind of the crypto hat for a second and just leave the venture capital hat on. Um, it, there's a lot of industry change that's happening. Uh, it feels like uh, macroeconomics definitely driving some of that valuation uh, compression or multiple compression has occurred. Um, there was uh, some major blowups as there always is in, in you know kind of the headlines. And so people get a little nervous. What are the trends that you think will remain the same? Right. Like, what are the things that you're like, hey, look, regardless of the change, if we just continue to do X as venture capitalists, we'll make money uh, in 2024 and beyond. Well, I, I will say I'm an evidence based investor, not a religious one. So I, I don't declare that a market is going to be the only place that you should put your money because six years from now, crypto will change the world. I'm looking for evidence. And so the evidence I look for is where are developers building? What's the quality of the developers and what's their ambition level? And even in this brutal uh, bear market for the last uh, two years, when you attend the developer conferences and you meet with the teams, they still are amazingly high quality. I think I would argue today, pound for pound, even higher quality than in any other time in the market, just because you gotta be a true believer to have been building in the last few years. Their ambition is to build globally available products that you know change mostly the financial system, but in some cases change consumers' um, ownership of digital assets like NFTs and gaming, um, and, their, um, and their ability to attract talent and inspire leadership uh, is, is strong. Uh, it's not the only place you find that in tech. You see it in a lot of leading edge markets, but um, this is still true today. And I think I would argue that it's, we're, we're, we're past the trough and we're emerging from a, a challenging build period with really rich infrastructure. We've got great working layer ones. We've got super fast layer twos. We have like 25% of layer two settlement is already on zero knowledge, which is maybe one of the most interesting um, uh, you know, pieces of infrastructure ever built across all of tech, certainly hard to build zero knowledge. Um, and so we're, we're sort of ready. But at the same time, like how many users are using stuff on top of this? And this is where I'm very self-critical of this ecosystem. It's why I brought up the Telegram example. Where is there evidence of adoption? And that's the only way that we will build venture returns over a decade. We need consumers or enterprises to be built using apps built on top of blockchains. And so what are the candidates for that? Should I offer one or two? Okay, yes, so one I love that. One is stables, right? We've been talking about stable coins already, but I haven't checked the last few days, but my guess is 130, 140 billion dollars of uh, of total stable coin minted activity today. This is not a small number. It's been higher in the past, but it is a beautiful product, right? Being able to send digital dollars or digital euros at effectively no fee, like unbelievably low fee, certainly one one hundredth of the cost of using other networks. 24 hours a day, seven days a week with no middleman, like no, no trust required. That's an extraordinarily important innovation. It now needs to be uh, integrated into more and more products, but I think it will. We have 
PayPal announcing, right, that they've got 430 million monthly active users and 40% of their users do cross-border remittance and the fees are too high doing cross-border remittance. This is a public company and they said, what's our solution to high fees for cross-border remittance? We're making our own stablecoin and we're sending them PayPal to PayPal over public blockchains. That's an incredible example, but let, let's watch the volumes. I think Shopify is a company to watch here. They claim they're building a lot of Web3 products that they're going to start to unveil. What would What's interesting to Shopify and Web3? Probably getting the fees on payments down. Like if a user wants to buy something from a Shopify merchant, could you imagine if like you automatically buy stablecoin and then that's automatically transferred into the merchant's wallet and the fees are zero? Like the, there goes the 3.25% on every transaction and they're what percentage of the total uh, e-commerce market, like large. So here is, we have it, stables. Um, and then, you know, I, I think we, we we look for evidence of consumer usage uh, of gaming, um, uh, NFTs. We saw obviously a lot of activity that's that's come way down, but we have the Disney announcement that they, they're in this market now with their most interesting IP. Um, Amazon coming to market with an NFT offering. I, I, I'm, I'm sort of hedging a little bit here because I want to see the data, um, but but I, I think that's also a, a, a use case that we that we watch. Now, when we look at 2024, uh, I always go to what are the what are the narratives, right? And you can go back. There was you know the DeFi summers. There was obviously um, Bitcoin and, and kind of uh, nation state adoption, and, and we can go through a bunch of these different ones. What are the things that you're paying attention to most? Like you're talking right now about like usage. Uh, sometimes those align with the narrative. Sometimes they don't, frankly. And so what, what are those narratives that you're paying attention to as we go into the new year? Crypto was too hard to use for the last decade. So a lot of companies have spent a lot of time kind of creating web two like onboarding experiences, more like username and password than, you know, some crazy 12 or 20 some word phrase, right? Um, so making non-custodial wallets easier to use and there are seven or eight companies that have built a lot that are that are getting adoption like if you look at their client list of, of who's onboarded with them it's impressive so as those products come to market do we see really we're just looking for like consumer conversion rate like what's the abandonment when you come to a web page and try something out um versus uh web 2 and uh, we got to get those numbers way down. Um, we've seen some examples of that being of that you know being what too like in its adoption. So let's watch that. If if that happens, we we can expect much more consumer usage this wave. So that's one we're watching closely. Um, another is like what's the durability of the apps? One thing that a lot of people got excited about this year was Frentech. Um, it you know sort of has very crypto native appeal to it, like betting on um, tr basically trading on the value of uh, of social celebrities and social influencers. Um, but uh, but you know its durability is in question here, and so we care not about these sort of quick spikes in usage, but are they products that um, consumers will use over time? So um, I, I think that's the theme. We build a lot of infrastructure. Who's using it? Uh, and we're going to watch it closely. What can go wrong is like none of it none of it sticks now um you've been doing this a long time and uh you've seen i would think almost everything but i don't know if anyone ever saw the open ai situation before right that might be the one that I, every single person i've talked to is like i saw everything until that one um what are your takeaways from that both for founders and maybe also for venture capitalists and, and kind of people who are investing in these you know very explosive asymmetric type opportunities in venture capital I'm so glad you brought it up because what's not being talked about around this is um, 
you have something like 10,000 companies that have built on top of OpenAI's API. And one of them, even in the information this week, they detailed like Morgan Stanley has built significantly on top of OpenAI, OpenAI's API, like somewhere in their workflow. I think it's in like their private bank when like a, a private wealth manager is talking to a customer, there's like a, you know, a OpenAI chatbot that's helping them decide what to talk about. Uh, and they had emergency meetings over the weekend because here we have a company that's in the middle of a tender offer at $80 billion that almost evaporated in 48 hours because of a founder dispute. So like that is the opposite of anti-fragile, right? That is that is so unbelievably fragile. It's so web too that you've got a platform company that tens of thousands of, of companies have built on that could literally 700 of the 770 employees are going to leave if, um, you know, we were within minutes of that happening. Uh, and that that to me is every reason why I like Web3. Because what you don't have happen to Ethereum is like Joe Lubin and Vitalik have a disagreement. And so everyone who's built on Ethereum is suddenly in jeopardy. Like the network doesn't go down because of those types of governance issues. And we as the users, and by users, I mean developers, have a say in the governance of the software. So we need platforms that everyone's building on to be way more durable, to be anti-fragile, and you don't have them in Web2 at all. You're, you're counting on the largesse of like people, of like fallible humans that are like number in the six or seven or eight or 10 people. So um, this was just a stark reminder for me that we need, just like we need decentralized compute platforms, we need decentralized AI platforms, which is an area that we've invested pretty heavily in during this, this bear market. Um, I mean, it was shocking, shocking. One of the areas that um, has been very hot outside of crypto is artificial intelligence. Now, um, artificial intelligence, many people who are experts there, if you talk to them, they're like, well, if you got data and then you can use this artificial intelligence, there's value that can get created. Seems like there's a lot of data on a blockchain, right? There's a lot of uh, both transactions. There's all kinds of information. Do you see these two industries kind of blurring the line and actually coming together in some form? Or is that maybe uh, both AI and crypto people trying to like, you know, team up just to get more hype around what are already pretty hyped up industries? If you didn't like investing in my company when I was crypto, how about if I'm AI, will you invest? Yeah, for, for sure. There's some of that at play. But but I also appreciate you bringing this up because, you know, you you have a lot of words on the Internet that you've spoken and written. And I'm pretty sure that a whole lot of that was scraped by the training data sets in Google and OpenAI. H have they sent you any shares in OpenAI or any compensation for any of that? I'm just curious. No, no, it must have got lost in the mail. Yeah, right. Well, you know, they—they've. I'm sure they've read the Coin Fund website and my blog post too, and I haven't gotten any shares either. So here we have like the biggest graft of um, of uh, some sort of pillaging of content that that creators have uh, have have created over the last decade and filled with the internet, and we have six or seven companies who've scraped it all and built tens of billions of dollars of value without any compensation to any of us. And, and this this will be settled in the courts. This is a copyright question. Um, I am on the uh, I am on the the side that ha having been through the music wars, I, I do not think this will be rendered fair use, especially if the chatbot like, which has already been proven, like spits out word for word what other people have said. I mean, Fred Wilson's blog alone had to teach the thing everything it needs to know about venture capital. The guy's written more about venture capital over a decade, right? He hasn't gotten paid. I asked him this question. So uh, why is Web3 relevant here? Because Web3 has a model 
where contributors, whether you're developers or content creators, can get rewarded in tokens uh, when you put things into a network, into a data supply. Or we can do airdrops even after the fact. We can look back. We could we could deploy an AI um, model to train on information on the blockchain. We already know the address of what put that data on the blockchain. We can do an airdrop of tokens back to it if we've used it. This is a much more equitable model, a more democratic model, where the users or the contributors get some some share of, in the upside. Now, the, the problem is there's not an example of us doing this in Web3 right now around AI, but but that's the, we've solved the problem before we even knew we needed it. What are the areas that maybe people are excited about that you're not excited about in crypto? Are there things that you know maybe you're like, eh, I, it's hard for me to see that becoming a thing, but I understand other people are either excited about or, or capital is flowing there or, or developers are working on it? I, I think... Uh, this intersection of AI and crypto, I think, is a very interesting one that will take many years to play out. This uh, this sort of broad-based question of how do we wrest control of the compute platforms of the future away from you know the three or four companies that have them, and and migrate developer usage to these um, decentralized platforms is of great interest to me. Just as someone who's a a veteran of the Web two wars, um, and, and and boy, the, I mean. We saw over and over again the whimsical nature of what it's like to build on a platform like Facebook or Twitter, where the CEO pulls the rug. I mean, we should have invented the term rug pulls to, to talk about the Web 2 platforms, not the Web 3s. Um, so I, I'm really focused on like durable uh, decentralized platforms for a lot of different use cases, not just basic blockchains, but you know, I, I'm interested in, in AI training models, AI inference models, and and, and Jake Brookman, our, our, uh, our CEO, has spent a lot of time publishing thesis on this. I'm also just really interested in the ownership of uh, intellectual property and what that really means to, I mean, you, you're a content creator, you've got a model that's, um, that, that is perfectly applicable to Web3, where, you know, you could be, well, let me just back up and say, over the history of intellectual property, like going back millennia, we sold it the way the way a creator got monetized, monetized their content is they created some physical product and sold it a book a work of art a sculpture or something like that and uh, someone got to own it and then resell it later and so they were like invested in the long-term economic value of people's works then we hit web 2 where as we made content digital we could not control its replication right it's it's too abundant and so therefore we had to go to access models. If you want to listen, if you want to patronize me, you got to like pay for access to my stuff. And then when you stop paying, I'm going to shut that off. Spotify, Netflix, subscriptions. But that's like this bubble in time over the history of intellectual property. With NFTs, we are back to being able to own intellectual property, which is historically the way humans liked to um, like to uh, support and, and, uh, and enjoy intellectual property. So I am super bullish on this idea that we're going to, enable ownership of intellectual property again but it has not you know fully played out and and so even though nfts are way down it's an area of great interest to me now david you talked about the areas that are of great interest um before we end what is the promise of working with coin fund right I, I think one of the pieces that uh founders especially first-time founders don't understand is there's a lot of people with capital but you want to work with people who actually can help you build your businesses. So how do you all think about that at Coin Fund? And, and if somebody takes money from you guys, what is kind of that that promise that you have to them uh, in, in terms of why you may be a better fit for them than maybe over other venture capitalists? You know, I'm a former entrepreneur. I've started two companies and and and, and worked at three startups. And um, it's hard. The odds are super against you. You're probably not going to succeed. 
Like, I mean, that's what the data shows, right? They they say that uh, venture capital is the triumph of hope over data. Like it's so is being a founder, like it's probably not going to work out. So how do you increase your chances of success? My MO is like surround yourself with people who are smart and have experience to help you avoid the problems, help you see around corners. So we've built CoinFund to be more than our money. We want to help you build. We want to help avoid some mistakes. We want to help accelerate you through hiring, connections, strategy, partnerships. Um, and, and we have a network of now 105 companies we've invested in since 2015. We've got a lot of scars, mistakes that were made. Um, but crypto is also a different path than traditional software companies because of tokenization. And now because of the nexus with regulate, regulatory bodies, where should you build? Which geographies should you launch in? Uh, what's the, should you launch a token? And if so, how and why? It's it's sort of a unique set of questions that I think certain crypto native VCs um, are, uh, are well suited to. And the last thing I'd say is that um, we've survived. We've been through multiple bear crypto markets and we're stronger now than ever. We raised more capital in the last two years than we've ever raised. And we're being really judicious and thoughtful about how to invest it. We've got institutions who believe in us. So we hope we're durable, but, but ultimately um, ask our CEOs, are we helpful or not? Do we help them accelerate? That is uh, that, that's the best pitch. Just go talk to the people we already work with and they'll tell you what, uh, what they think. I hope so. I mean, we're not perfect. You know, we make mistakes, but, but that's the measure of whether we're good or not. Where can people find you on the internet if uh, they'd like to talk about anything that you talked about here today? Yeah, I'm still on that um, that uh, platform of Hellfire called X. Uh, so I'm Pacman, P-A-K-M-A-N. Uh, but uh, you can find me there. You find me everywhere. I'm, I'm using mine. David Pacman. There are two of us. One is a, a younger uh, um, influencer who does a lot of political talk. That's not me, but uh, I'm the only one. No, I'm not the only Pacman in crypto. You've got Pacman from Blur. Who uh, oh, yes. P-A-C-M-A-N, but no, so I'm P-A-K-M-A-N. Please come find me. Awesome. David, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. CoinFund obviously has a, a strong track record and, and continues to uh, uh, be a great steward of the industry. So cheers. Tom, you, you are the man. You're an incredible community builder, a sane voice, a sage voice, and a believer. And it's great to have you as a guiding light through crypto. We'll do it again soon, my friend. Good to see you.